everyone, it is Sean and it's August 26th and we have a very special guest with us today. So stay tuned for this impressive interview. Since bursting onto the scene in 2016, you have been a drum major for justice. Black push, y'all doing it. My claim to fame is that I know Sean Smith. I am pleased to see young people do what these young people are doing. When am I going to stop? We won't stop. And that's why I'm proud to be associated with Black Push. Black Push. Black Push. Black Push. Because you keep on pushing. You are helping to bend the moral arc of our universe toward justice. So we are back, and we have a very special guest with us today. We have, um, I, I call you Deke, but I mean, you're, you're more than just Deacon, but you're an author too. Mr. Charles Butts Jr., who's the author of not one, not two, not three. James, me and you are on one book at a time. But you're on your fourth book. Correct. And your fourth book is called? Unconscionable. Yeah, so you just tell us a little about who you are and how you even got to the space of wanting to write books. Okay. Well, I'm a native Atlantan, uh, greater baby. ATL and I went to Fulton High School. Uh, after high school, I went into the military. After military, I uh, worked for the Postal Service. I retired uh, after 34 years. Oh, wow. And I live in, currently live in Conyers, Georgia. Oh, wow. So that's crazy because um, without even knowing that, like my, my, one of my closest uncles and my auntie, um, actually two of my closest aunties and uncles worked for the Postal Service and they just recently retired. Um, so when we talk about the reason why I want to have you on a podcast today is like one of the things that I'm extremely passionate about is that in our community as young people, we don't view reading and writing the way we used to, right? Right. Um, so I remember when we spoke earlier today, you kind of talked about how you were growing up, you were a little bit more shy, you kind of tend to stay to yourself. Like, let's take us on that journey of like, how did you get to be Charles Butts Jr. for going from that to just being Charles Butts Jr., the author? Okay, well, I'm still pretty shy and quiet. But in school, I was a good student, but I would sit in the back of the class and pray that the teacher didn't call me so I didn't have to come to the front of the class. But I always read a lot. I wrote poems, read a lot. And uh, that led me to want to write my own stories. So your first book that you wrote was? Uh, Fall in a Season. And what was that about? Uh, it, was, it was actually Christian fiction. It was about a young widower who was a big-time lawyer in New York, and he was too busy to go with his pregnant wife to the doctor, and she got hit by a car and killed. So he was distraught about that, so he moved back home to uh, Greenville, Alabama to live with his great-uncle and grandmother that raised him. And while he was there, he learned about a lot of family secrets. Oh, wow. Well, then the second book you wrote was? Storm is Passing Over. And that was about? It was about fall in season, but it picks up 50 years later. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's like a continuation. Oh, wow. And then your third book that you wrote? Rotten in Plain Sight and Other Stories. It was a collection of four short stories. Oh, wow. And then now you have Unconscionable. Correct. And people, if they want to find it, if they want to purchase it, they can go where? Uh, Urban Edge Publishing. Okay. Or they can DM, send me a DM at uh, charlesrbuttsjr.com. So, I mean... 
for you, right? You talk about being shy. You talk about, which, you know, I, I see you in church almost every Sunday. Um, when, on the Sundays, I'm there, <laughs> should I say. Um, but when you talk about being shy, like, how is it that writing has become fundamental for you in a way of expressing yourself in ways that you probably won't be able to express yourself on a normal day, like day-to-day basis? Uh, I don't know. I guess it just uh, inherently came to me, like, even when I was working at the post office, like, I, you know, didn't talk much, but I'd be thinking about my books. Like, I'd be at work and be like, uh, instead of saying this in Chapter 12, why don't you say this? And so I'll write it down. Then I'll go home, and then I'll work some more. Like, things just kind of fit. The way it was supposed to. Yeah. So what is, like, your inspiration today for, like, writing? Uh, this Well, this particular story is kind of personal because I know the actual family. Oh, wow. Uh, it's actually uh, Shawanda's, the real victim was Shawanda's second cousin. Oh, wow. So in, in the new book that you have, yeah. it's actually personal for you. Right. Nice. Nice. Uh, went to the trial a couple of days, uh, spoke to GBI agents. So, so all that. Oh, yeah. wow. James. When, <clears throat> when was the first, when, going back a little ways, how far back, well, when was the first book published? Uh, I think 2016. And it took me about... I don't know about 10 years to write it because I write a little bit, put it back. Mm-hmm. You know, life happens, so I write a little bit, put it back. But uh, when I lost my father in 2014, I wanted to speed it up because actually I was writing it because he was a big part of it. Okay. Uh, the story was about people born with veils. I don't know if you ever heard about that. And my dad was born with a veil. And I have a nephew that was born with a veil. And he used to always talk about seeing things, so that gave me the idea about writing a story. Okay. Now, do you, uh, any of your other family members or friends write, or, I mean, write at all? Do you have anybody that you bounce ideas and stuff off of? Uh, no, uh, I think I'm the only person. Okay. I'm writes. Nice. All right. So what did you do to, like, put yourself, like, preparing for writing, right? Um, how do you prepare yourself to sit down and actually put your ideas to paper? Uh, I, I, I just thought it. Uh, first thing I do is like create some characters, and then I'll just uh, for, then next I always determine how I want the story to end. Right. Uh, then I go from the ending and I go out backwards to the beginning. Like I figure once you know how the story is going to end, it should be easier to write. Oh wow! To work backwards. To work backwards yeah. towards it. And you've been doing this for now almost what, if you said 2006, so 16 years yeah. of writing. Right. So, and one of the things I will say this too is like, um, I, I go to his church and we go to the same church. One of the things I love so much about your family is I love your son. I absolutely love your son. His son sings in the choir. He ushers when he's not singing in the choir. And he has this spirit of like, just love, even though he doesn't really know me, like every single time he sees me, um, if I don't feel love from nobody else in the church, I feel love from his son. <laughs> and it speaks to, I think that a lot of times when we have people like that, it speaks to the character in which they're raised in, the right. environment in which they're raised in, and the people in which raised them. Um, how has that journey been like? How has writing you help you become a better father or a better man to your like to your family? Uh, do, do you feel like it plays a part in that? Yeah, uh, I have a daughter that's 34, so I bounce off the ideas off of her. And then my son's uh, on the spectrum, but he's very high functioning. Uh, graduated from high school, you know, with honors. 
So between them two and I have two grandchildren that I spend a lot of time as well. You got two grandkids? Yeah. Oh wow. Five year old, almost five year old and a two year old. So you so you're a father, a husband, a grandfather, and an author. Yeah. I love it. And so when you think about this, right, one we talked about it earlier today that um one of the things that we're finding now is that a lot of youth don't have outlets, right? So for me, like for me, my outlet has become pain. I like the pain. Um, for me, another outlet I have is skydiving. I love sky. Anybody who knows me knows that I'll jump out of a plane in a heartbeat, right? Um, and when we talk about that, one of the things that I've found too is that I have friends who are authors, and they always talk about like the ability to be able to sometimes be not be able to express things by mouth, but be able to express things in writing. Um, for you, have you found writing to be an outlet for you? Oh, most definitely, because I was a journaler, too. I journal a lot. Oh, I didn't see James. <laughs> yeah, I can put it down on paper easily. Like, I always said I'm not the greatest communicator verbally, but I can put my thoughts on paper. Yeah, and then, then I think we also share something in common, because you guys, well, we have a church member um, who is now, we know, getting a lot of national news attention. Um, Avery Dixon, who oh, yeah. is um, doing his thing on America's Got Talent right now. Um, but for those people, because Avery Dixon's story is, I think, what resonates a lot with this country, right. is the fact that people have stated what you cannot do. Right. And even just talk to you now, I can sense that people probably, some people don't think that even Charles Butts Jr. would be to the point where he's an author now. Um, for those people who have, have been naysayers, what would you say to people who have had experienced people in their life who told them what they could not do, um, but still had to kind of push their way through that and do it anyway? Yeah, that's what I would say. Do it. Uh, uh, never let anybody talk you out of uh, doing what you want to do. Like when I was a lot younger, like I had a chance, like I was a really, really good basketball player. But at the same time, then that's when I first got hired at the post office. So, you know, a lot of people like take the security, don't take the risk of playing basketball. But I said that if it's something you're really passionate about, you should do it. Right, right. Also, I think that uh, God gives us a lot of gifts. So I didn't go after that dream, but I was still uh, able to do this. You know, it's funny because you the funny things you say, God gives a lot of gifts. Um, I have a friend of mine who used to play for the Dolphins, and he says, he always asked the question, he said, what's the difference between a gift and an ability? And a lot of times people will, like, tie in the fact that, okay, if I'm able to play basketball, that's a gift. And he, and he makes a complaint. He'll say, no, that's not a gift, because a gift is something that can't be taken from you. Right. Um, and an ability can be taken from you, but a gift is something that no matter whether you try to run from it, no matter whether you don't want to accept it, it's still your gift. And he was saying, I had the ability to play football, and I did it, and I had the ability to play it at a high level, but it was not my gift because at one point I got injured and I got hurt, um, and I can't play on the same level in which I played at before. But when it's my gift, it's something that no matter what I do, it can never be taken away from me. Right. And how would you speak to people who are saying out there, like, you know, what is my gift? Like, what? how do you know that this is a part of your gift okay. and that you're working in it? Well, you actually made me think about something. Because, you know, like for years, Reverend Mack, when he's preaching, mm -hmm. you know, he always says, do what God wants you to do. Start that business. Write that book. He used to say it over and over and over again. And so I always used to seek a sign. And he would say, write that book. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put it out now. So, you know, he and I uh, laugh about that. But I always tell him that, you know, hearing him say that often, 
is what uh, led me to go ahead and, and uh, put the book out. Well, <clears throat> what you were just saying about the gift and everything made me think of something I had just heard recently about the difference between talent and anointing. And the talent uh, uh, with anointing, you know, talent is, is you being able to do what you do because that's your gift. You're gifted at it. You're talented at being able to do it. But your anointing can be taken away when you do when you have it. So, that, you know, you can, you can be an uh, anointed writer and have a gift, but the, the, the anointing can be, can be removed from whatever, whatever it is that you do. The anointing is like putting that extra on it, and that can always be removed. And then you're just left with talent, and that can be also lost, you know, due to accidents or whatever may take place if you're a basketball player or, or whatever, football. There's a short window for them, and with with one the, one of the things that I remember growing up, one of the things that mom used to always say is that when you are uh, uh, you have to have something to fall back on. So even if you're not a great ball player, and I love playing baseball, but I also knew that it wasn't going to carry me very far unless I put the energy into it. But writing and reading, you know different books and whatnot over the years. I still have a passion for reading, but writing is something that will allow you to be able to, you know, excel at in the area that you'd like to do, and it's beneficial for others. And I can see that as being, if you wanted to do something along the lines and, um, of maybe um, teaching um, whether you know a writing class or something here at the church or you know or in your church or in the community or something I see that as something that you would be able to um, excel in you know in future endeavors right and everything so do you have anything like that down the pipeline or not at the moment uh, not at the moment but I, I'll, I always advise a lot of people like people are calling me with questions that uh, want to write a book uh, uh, they get stuck, so I help people out that way. I just haven't like done a class or anything like that yet. And I love it. I mean, one of the things that I really do appreciate is that um, I think that when we start talking about the mental health component and ways we can deal with mental health, we cannot exclude writing and reading out of it. Oh, yeah. um, I think that writing is a way of expressing ourselves because a lot of times people can't physically say stuff. But most of the time they can write it out and right. I think that that's it. And, and then I think it's biblical too. There's a verse in the Bible that says write, write it down and make it plain. Right. Um, and I think that's extremely biblical. So for any last words that you would have for people who are out there who maybe just be watching today and be like, you know, um, I feel like I want to be a writer but I don't feel like I have the talent to be or gift to be. Like what would be your message to that type of person? Uh, my message would be to do it. Uh, especially if you're passionate about it. Learn everything you can about it, which I did. You know, some people uh, want to take shortcuts and uh, really want people to help and pretty much do the work for them, but I learned everything. You know, you have Google can teach you every, anything you want to know, Google and YouTube. So you can tell me because it's the same I, church. Yeah. Mac can tell you that all the time. <laughs> so I, I learned everything the hard way. Just it, it, And it wasn't hard for me because it's a passion, so I wanted to and just you know, took my time. 
And we appreciate awesome. you, man. We appreciate you for coming on today. Appreciate you for taking the time to come on today. And I want to encourage everybody, if we can put it back up on the screen, um, please go out and find him on, what's the web, web, what, what's that, can they find it, this book at now? UrbanEdgePublishing.com. Urban Edge Publishing, so leave it up for a second, but UrbanEdgePublishing.com. And the name of the book is called Unconscionable. And the author is the none, on, none only than Mr. Charles R. Butts Jr. And which, while you're on there, don't just purchase one book, but there's four books that you can purchase. Right. And you can go back on there and also get the sequel. I, I, I love the, the fact that we do have the sequel. Um, and, and others are on Amazon. And others are on Amazon. So you can definitely find them on either Amazon or you can find them on Edge. Or my uh, website, charlesrbuttsjr.com. CharlesRbuttsJr.com. And we'll make sure that that link is actually added into our social media today, Sean, so we can make sure that everybody has access to it and every link that we have. So if you want to go on and you want to purchase his book today, um, we'll put the links on the actual, um, our, on this posting today so you can go and post and we can support. But thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much um, for having me. We want to remind people that we have a few different events that are coming up this week. We have um, September 10th, we'll be hosting our gun violence roundtable here at First Iconium Baptist Church. If you have not done so, you can go to our website at www.blackpush.org and register. Um, as well as we also have, what else is coming up, James? Help me out here. Oh, the, uh, <coughs> I'm sorry. Government by Girls <laughs> event that is pending, but October 8th through 10th, yes. and we'll be in Macon tomorrow. We'll be in Macon, so you clinic. are um, in Macon and you have a warrant that may be outstanding, you can come and be a part of an event that we have called the um, Warrant Clinic in Macon, which we're partnering with Black Voters Matter to do, and then solicitor's office down there. So we have a lot of different events. If you don't know, just go to our website, www.blackpush.org, or go to our Facebook page and find out more information. But we also want to keep everybody in mindset that we are focused really on gun violence, and gun violence is extremely important to Black Push. So before you close out, before we close out today, we're going to show you this six-minute clip of our last trip to Uvalde, and they need your support, we need your support, we need to keep pushing together. This house here is where the shooter lived or his grandmother. This house here is where my grandson lived. Oh, wow. What happened to you all day can happen anywhere, and it will happen anywhere if we don't pay attention. This house here is where the shooter lived, or his grandmother. This house here is where my grandson lived. Oh, wow. What happened to Uvalde can happen anywhere, and it will happen anywhere if we don't pay attention. During a trip to Uvalde shortly after the shooting, Sean Smith, the president of Black Push, met the mayor of town. Later that year, I traveled with Sean and a team from Black Push back to Uvalde. The mayor met us at the San Antonio airport. I was eager to start speaking with him, and so I began asking him questions on the way there. Um, how would you describe it to someone who has never been there? You know, Uvalde's a, a, a 
just a good, small town, rural America. It's a good community, and Uvalde's a strong community. It's a close-knit community. Uh, you know, it's 17,000 people now, or 15, 15 16,000 people. You don't know everybody, but you know everybody. He described it in terms that anyone might describe their hometown, and described its response to the tragedy in terms that any one of us might hope that we would describe our town's response to such a tragedy. You know, one thing about Uvalde and any, anything that's ever come up, they've always pulled together as a community to get through. I mean, you've seen numerous bake sales, barbecue plate sales, Mexican plate sales, uh, you know, to raise money for these families and, and not only those that were that lost children, but even those that were injured. I made this chart based on information that is readily available online. This raises the obvious question, what on earth happened in the 2010s? I thought maybe this can be explained by a simple rise in population, but no, the US population is growing at a nice and steady rate. One popular narrative is that the shooting at Columbine High School in 1999 marked the beginning of an epidemic of school shootings. The attention and publicity it received served as an inspiration for the school shootings that followed. But school shootings happened before Columbine and their frequency actually went down after the 1990s. I did another search and graphed some data that revealed another startling graph. It's not just schools. Mass shootings rose in roughly the same stark shape in the 2010s, suggesting a larger societal issue. I thought back to the work of a professor of mine, Albert Borgman. One of the books that he taught was Bowling Alone. The book gets its title from the fact that Americans were, at the end of the 20th century, bowling in higher numbers than before, but that they were bowling alone instead of in leagues. It argues that there was a significant decline in what it calls social capital, that we have become increasingly disconnected from family, friends, neighbors, and our democratic structures. Borgman argued that the major force contributing to this was the rearrangement of the American living room from around the hearth to around the TV set. As people got to stay home and watch TV, they stopped going out and meeting with others. When I grew up in Uvalde, everybody participated in everything. And it kind of got away from that. You know, yeah, you, why do you think, what changed? People got busy, you know, people moved away, people didn't, you know, at first they didn't, you know, oh, I'm too busy, I don't have time, and this, and, and you know. May I ask when that was roughly? That probably started in, you know, that probably started in the, I'm going to say the, the late 90s, early 2000s. What major shift in the culture happened around the turn of the 21st century? Let's look at some other charts I made. Here's the number of internet users over the same period. Sale of smartphones in billions of dollars. Number of Facebook users. The shape of these charts eerily resembles the shape of the charts on school shootings and mass shootings. Correlation does not mean causation, sure. But ask yourself, do our cities and towns feel more or less like connected communities because we have cell phones in our hands and TVs in our living rooms? For me, the answer is less. The one thing that we're lacking in our community 
we don't have anything for our youth to do. The bowling, we used to have a bowling alley. The bowling alley is no longer there. We don't have a rec center for the kids. You know, I mean, they're dependent on the the whatever activities the school offers, or you know, whatever activities we can offer. But I mean, some of the equipment in our park, Memorial Park, has been there since I was a kid in Ubalde. You know, one of the important things would be this rec center would give not only be a, a, a place these kids could call theirs, but it would also serve as a community center also too. Maybe we'll find that diamond in the rough, that that that, that person is considered a loner or left out, or, you know, maybe he was teased or bullied, and that's something we've got to, to look at. And we've got to try to reach out to these people and, and to these kids and let them know that there are people that care about them and people that do love them. And, want to help them and want to see things good. To help Black push combat gun violence across America, scan this QR code.